good morning again, and in the hurry of the announcements earlier, I uh, do want to just give a warm welcome to those of you who may be visiting with us this morning. My name is Zach, I'm the senior pastor here, and just want to wish you a warm welcome, and if there's anybody online who is uh, watching maybe for the first time, welcome to you as well. Um, if you have a Bible with you, you can take it and turn to Genesis chapter 42, Genesis chapter 42, we're going through a series in the life of Joseph titled, The Purposes of God in the Land of Affliction. And we are, for all intents and purposes, we're going basically chapter by chapter. It's kind of how the, the segments of Joseph's story are broken up. Uh, here in a few weeks, we'll, we'll start mingling some chapters together. But for now, we're basically going chapter by chapter. And what I want to do this morning... And I know it's kind of hit and miss as to whether or not I read the chapter, you know, depending if it's a longer one or not. But this morning, I'd like to read the full passage of Scripture to get it on our mind, and then we can jump in to the topic at hand. Genesis chapter 42, verse 1, it says, When Jacob learned, and, and if you remember, so start in verse 56 of the previous chapter. When the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? He said, Behold, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had uh, dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. We'll come back to that. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no. It is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother, while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. And then we see a change of mind. Verse 18, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your, bro let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did, and they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, speaking of Joseph, 
and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them and said, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? Not exactly, but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept and returned to them and he spoke to them and he took Simeon from them and bound them, bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. What grace. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and they departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkeys fodder uh, at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. And he said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them, and they turned, trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God is doing or has done to us? And they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan. They, they told him all that had happened. The man, the Lord, had spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies. But we said to him, here it is again, we are honest men. We have never been spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of, one fa- of our father. One is no more. The youngest is with our father in the, Can- in the land of Canaan. Then the man said, the man, of the, the, the man, the Lord of the land said to us, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me. Take grain for your family and go your way. Bring your youngest brother back to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. I hope you hear the repetition of the word honest in this. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. And so then they all get around, so they're together as a family, and they all begin emptying emptying their sacks in verse 35. And behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they, they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Everything's against me. Everything's going wrong. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Genesis chapter 42. When past sins find you out. Do any of the following describe you? You live under a daily cloud of shame because of a sinful choice you made sometime in your past. You have turned to some addiction, drugs, alcohol, food, pornography, in order to deaden the pain and memory of a past sin or failure. Your thinking is often so consumed with past sins and failures that you beat yourself up verbally, perhaps by cussing at yourself, emotionally, or even physically cutting or hurting yourself. You've tried to remedy the guilt and shame of past sins, yet you can't seem to shake the distress it causes in your soul. You are convinced practically, that there is no remedy to the shame and guilt of past sins, so you've abandoned yourself to the lie that, well, you are what you are. Or how about this? You have a theological knowledge to affirm what is true of Jesus Christ, yet you find it most difficult to handle your sin openly and honestly before him in the power of the gospel. I'm sure most of us will identify with some of these points at least sometime during our lives. 
Yet even now, this morning, as we speak, the well of shame and guilt runs deep for many of you. And you find yourself at a loss of what to do. Further, I'm certain that there are perhaps many here this morning who are trying to find a way out of the shame and guilt of past sins. But what about it when that when the past, when that past, when that guilt, when that shame meets us right in the face, and we come face to face with the sins of the past, when our sins find us out. And I submit to you before I say anything else that without the grace of God and the power of the gospel, there can be no hope for ridding the guilt of past sins or any sin. By God's grace and in the power of the gospel, we are enabled to come clean with our sin. We own our sin with full confession and repentance. By God's grace and in the power of the gospel, we see sin for what it really is. Ugly, self-serving, hell-deserving rebellion against God. By God's grace and in the power of the gospel, we we forfeit self-remedies for guilt. We refuse self-atonement and lay a hold of, by faith, the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. Because here's what we learn in Scripture. The sins we try to hide will often find us out, stress us out, and call us out. The sins we try to hide will often find us out. That's Numbers 32, 23. Your sins will find you out. They'll stress you out. Psalm 32, verse uh, 2 through 4, we'll look at that later. He talks about his bones and his moaning and his groaning. And yes, they will even call you out. This is Genesis 38. We didn't look at this, the chapter, Genesis 38, but it's the story of Judah when he goes and visits a prostitute and he tries to hide it. And his his daughter-in-law ends up pregnant and it turns out she's the one who acted the part of the prostitute. And so when they find out she's pregnant, Judah says, well, we've got to kill her. And then she, she pulls out Judah's stuff and says, well, whoever, whoever stuff this is, that's who, that's who the father is. Called out right there on the spot. Joseph's brothers were going to Egypt for what they thought would be a hassle-free transaction, buying food. And instead, they end up being confronted with their past sins. And God would use Joseph to sort of sift the heart of these ten brothers to show them their guilt, all with the purpose of turning them to him. And so because sin is so destructive, we must deal with it. Because sin is so destructive, we must deal with it openly and honestly in the power of the gospel. And we're going to look today at three necessary actions that will help us deal with our sin openly and honestly, especially as we look at the the words of the brothers. Number one, first thing we need to do is we need to see ourselves rightly. We need to see ourselves rightly. Okay. Put it another way is we. This is verse eleven. Uh, when we when we first uh, first read this, and many of you chuckled at the statement. He says, "We are sons of one man. We are honest men. We tend to think too highly of ourselves. We tend to misjudge our character and elevate our character beyond sin, higher than our sinful nature, as if sin is beyond us." And when we do that, when we think too highly of ourselves, we will find little reason to be open and honest with sin and about sin. 
So Joseph's brothers, as we read, they're sitting around just staring at one another, and Jacob somehow learns that there's food in Egypt. And so he says, go buy food in Egypt. Of course, we know that the famine was so severe that they were sitting around because they weren't able to harvest any crops. And so they are told to go down to Egypt because they have food and they're selling it to anyone who would go and pick it up. This is, this is, like, this is like history's first curbside pickup for groceries, what's happening in Egypt. Except you have to travel multiple days there and back in order to get your food. And so the ten uh, brothers, the ten sons of Jacob, begin the journey. And of course we note that he didn't send Benjamin. Now that Joseph was dead, Benjamin's now the favorite. That's why. Joseph was dead. And so I want, I want to, at the end of verse 5, it's important to note what's going on here. Because there's a, there's a little clue as to why this situation is so odd that follows. Verse 5 says, the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So basically, it's like they're part of this big group coming from Canaan. You know, people are coming and going. Joseph is processing tons of transactions from foreigners every single day, day after day after day. And, it, and all of a sudden, these guys get here, and all of a sudden, it, it's, it's a grill fest. It's an interrogation. It's accusation. But they make their way to Egypt, and they find where they need to go. They, somehow they follow the road signs, whatever you might say, to find a man by the name of Zephanath Paniah. And if you remember, that was the name given to Joseph by Pharaoh. Which is why, by the way, his brothers wouldn't have recognized them. New name, new language, Egyptian clothes, Egyptian haircut. Joseph would have looked completely like an Egyptian. And he had an interpreter there, so he's, yeah, so there's just no way they would have recognized him. And they come and bow down to him, bow down to him. Now, this, if you remember from Genesis 37, is a partial fulfillment. And as you remember the story, Joseph speaks roughly to them, and his brothers respond, We are honest men. Now, if you're reading this story for the first time, the, you would just know that the last time you remember reading about the brothers is in chapter 37, where they were anything but honest. They were given a right description of their business, but a wrong description of their character. And in order for their their brothers, these brothers, to be honest men, they would first have to get honest about themselves. And if there truly was a change, Joseph is going to give them the opportunity to prove it. And we're going to see how this whole story unfolds over the next several chapters, all the way through chapter 50. Because it is just an unfolding of hearts being broken and mended and a story of forgiveness. But we start here. But the brothers reveal something about all of our hearts. We like to hide our sin. And we like to hide our sin and hide the real us. We like to hide behind all the right business. We're doing the right religious business, the right moral business. We're doing the right things. I go to church, so I don't need to be open and honest about my sin. I'm mostly a good person, so I don't need to be open and honest about my sin. We need to think rightly about ourselves. Because we're talking about our pride. Our pride keeps us from being open and honest about our character. Now, have you ever said, I can't believe I did that? Stephen Vyers gives this insightful response to us. He says, what we really mean is, I can't believe a wonderful person like me did that. 
And then he, said, he goes on to say, he says, this side of heaven, we will regularly and progressively be exposed to the sinfulness of our own hearts. Instead of being surprised by our weakness, we should be amazed by God's grace. So which one are you? Surprised that your wonderful self would sin? Or amazed that God would shower your heart with grace in light of your sin? Dealing honestly with ourselves and about ourselves removes the poor me sort of pride that often stands in the way of genuine confession and repentance. We must see ourselves rightly. Number two, though, and these you'll find are all connected, we need to see ourselves rightly, but number two, we also need to see our sin rightly. This I get from verse 21 with what the brothers said. Because all this, all this, you know, all this starts happening. They're being accused of being despised, and now they've got this, this real tough situation where, where one of them, it was, it was originally going to be nine of them, but Joseph changed, and now it's just one of them. One of them has to stay behind. All the others have to go back, and in order for them to keep getting food, they actually have to bring the youngest brother back, which they know Jacob wouldn't go for. And so they immediately, they, they're, they're in huge distress, and they immediately think, this is all happening because of what we did to Joseph. Verse 21, in, in truth, in truth, we are guilty. That's a great statement. In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. And notice what do they say. We saw the distress of his soul. This is the first time we get a peek at Joseph in, in the pit when his brothers were sell- before his brothers sold him. We saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. Our 17-year-old brother in this pit crying out with tears of torment and fear and anxiety and trauma. And we just sat down and had a meal. And he says, this is, now we're, we're facing all this distress because we distressed him. We have to remember Proverbs 28, verses 13 and 14. This is a good place to put it as we talk about needing to see our sin rightly because that's what the brothers are starting to do. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes, there's repentance, will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. It's been 20 plus years, but their sin has found them out. And they're realizing that they won't prosper while this sin is hidden. So Joseph is applying more and more pressure on his brothers. Uh, he, he learns that Benjamin is still alive. And he probably, wants, he probably wants proof. I want you to prove to me that you didn't kill the next favorite just like you killed me. And so we have the word test, uh, verse 15 and verse 16. Joseph says, this is, you're going to be tested. So Joseph puts all of his brothers in jail for three days. Remember that they were in custody at the, in verse 17. All of them get to go to jail for three days, custody, some sort, of, uh, some sort of confinement. And then at the end, he, Joseph actually shows gracious concern for his brothers. Notice he says, no, nine of you need to go. Because you need to provide food for your family, which is his family, right? And so even though he's stressing the seriousness of the situation, yet he's being gracious in his gift to them. He's going to provide them food. He's going to return the money, which I think was just Joseph being gracious. But as we'll find out, as, as we did find out, it actually causes a lot of trouble for the brothers. But it's in God's providence. 
So he gives them the grain, he returns their money, and then at the end of verse 25, he gives them provisions for the journey. They're coming back with way more than they went there with, except a brother. And so the very real question for the rest of the brothers is this. Are they willing to leave Simeon in custody and take all the goods and just forget about it? Because that's exactly what they did to Joseph. They abandoned their brother in favor of a few silver coins from the Ishmaelites 20 plus years ago. And Joseph is testing them. Are they going to do the same thing to Simeon? What was once a quest to get food is now a test of their hearts. Are they going to get real and honest about their sin? And their mind immediately goes to the the, the Joseph episode. I wonder if if you could identify with that. I wonder if there is a sin that you've committed, you've left unconfessed before God and the appropriate parties, and your mind can, can immediately go to it. You've been hiding it, and it just keeps coming back in your mind, in your memory. One of the wrong ways to deal with guilt is to deny that you are really guilty. In truth, we are guilty. They are in distress. And Reuben speaks up. It says Reuben answered. It's as if everybody's looking at the, he's the oldest. It's as if everybody's looking at the oldest brother like, dude, this is your fault. And Reuben's pretty quick to say, and it's, I I wonder if he's trying to make a case of why he shouldn't be the one left behind. When he says, hey, I told you, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? As if to say, if there's anybody guilty, it's you guys, not so much me. Now, if you, we're not going to go back to chapter 37, but it does say in chapter 37 that he told him, don't kill him, throw him in the pit. And his intention was to restore him Joseph to his father. But he recognizes that there is, there is coming a reckoning for Joseph's blood. He realizes, and as the other brothers do as well, that their sin has found them out and there is blood to pay. In truth, we are guilty. And where there's guilt, there's punishment. The brothers are being, beginning to be unmasked. Their sin is being unmasked. Their character is being unmasked. You never know when God will unmask you. We must be open about our sin before God and others to whom it would be appropriate. Again, another classic verse talking about something like this is 1 John 1, 9-10. It says, if we confess our sins, if we confess them, we own it. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we haven't sinned, if the response here was, in truth, we haven't really sinned. In truth, we're not really guilty for anything. Then we make God a liar and his word is not in us. Sin is so bad it must be confessed. Sin is so bad only God can provide a remedy. The world looks at sin and looks at your sin and it tells you to forgive yourself. That's a small view of God and a small view of sin. To the world around us, sin is often only as bad as it makes you feel. And so you just got to get feeling better about yourself. It's amazing that in this passage, the brothers didn't say, we need to forgive ourselves. You won't find that in this passage. You won't find that in any passage of scripture. The need to forgive yourself. 
Yet we hear it constantly today. As a matter of fact, I went on Amazon uh, while preparing this message, and I, and I just typed in the words, forgive yourself. Dozens and dozens of books came up about the healing power of self-forgiveness. But when we say, I need to forgive myself, what we, deep in our hearts, what we really should be looking for is true and genuine forgiveness that only God can provide. The answer is to receive by faith in Christ and the power of the gospel, the forgiveness that God provides. Our sin is serious. Our sin does deserve God's wrath. So we must go to the gentle and lowly wrath substitute, Jesus Christ. The guilt we feel for sins we commit is real guilt because sin is real and because God is really holy. And though we live in a world that says forgive yourself or perhaps even go find, go find somebody to make them feel more guilty than you, like the remedy for your guilt is just that everybody around you feels more guilty for their stuff. And so just point out their guilt and make them feel more guilty and more shameful and then you'll feel better and we're good to go. Jesus offers something radically different because he willingly took our guilt upon himself and not only our guilt, the punishment our guilt deserves, the guilt, the punishment our guilt produces. So we need to see ourselves rightly, we need to see our sin rightly and third and finally, we need to see God rightly. This is from verse 28, where the brothers, as things continue to mount, the obstacles continue to mount, and the brothers, when, they, when one brother uh, realizes that his money has put back in, his, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the mouth of his sack, he, he says, and he tells his brothers, and all their hearts fail him at the end of verse 28, and they turn trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done? They're seeing all this is coming from God. And Joseph's great act of compassion, I believe is an act of compassion, but it actually turns out to be something that really strikes their conscience and something they realize, not only are we guilty, but God, we're dealing, it's almost as if we're dealing face to face with God here in a way. His brothers are being tested and God is bringing them face to face with himself. Now remember, they're starting to realize this blood guilt, that they are guilty and they deserve the punishment. And now they've got this abundance of money and they're, they're facing the loss of another brother and they're reminded again of their offense saying, what is this that God is doing to us? They are face to face with their past and they are face to face with God. And they've realized that God is confronting their sin through discipline. There's a number of passages of scripture that help us understand this. Uh, Psalm 32, three and uh, verses 3 and 4. We talked about this earlier. But this whole idea of God confronting people in their sin and causing great distress. Here's what David says. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. 
Psalm 31, verses 9 and 10. This won't be on the screen, but you can write it down. Psalm 31, 9 and 10. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. My life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my sin and my bones waste away. Psalm 38.3 says something similar. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. And then Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's what they're experiencing. And that's I'm sure... What you may be experiencing, some of you may be experiencing right now, truly it's something we all experience. Otherwise, as Romans 12 says, you're not a child of God. So we know the story. They get back. They tell Jacob everything except for the fact that they started to realize that they're being punished for, as all things considered, killing their younger brother. Kind of leave that part out. And then Reuben, oldest brother, as, you know, well-meaning as he can be, offers a seemingly courageous yet very unhelpful solution to Jacob. Where he says, Benjamin should be entrusted to him, and that if anything happened to Jacob, or happened to Benjamin, Jacob could kill Reuben's two sons. As if killing his grandkids would offer any sort of remedy to Jacob at all. I think it seems obvious, at least to me, that Reuben is trying to make up for what happened to Joseph. In chapter 37, Reuben intended to return Joseph to his father, and now he's attempting to do the same. You've got to see God rightly. Some Christians would never think to utter the words, what is this that God has done to me? Especially when it comes to God's displeasure of sin. For many, God is a sin-ignoring, me-affirming, holiness-easing God. And that's a God that sounds an awful lot like us. Uh, In Psalm 115, we won't go there, but it describes an idol. It's speechless, it can't see anything, can't hear anything, can't do anything. It's motionless. And then verse 8 of Psalm 115, after describing the idol, it says this, Those who make them, the idols, become like them. So do all who trust in them. You tend to look like the idol you create. And when it comes to facing sin, we must admit that we all are tempted to create a God who is unlike the God the ten brothers are now confronted with. We don't see God as holy. We don't see God rightly. And we never will see God rightly if we try to convince ourselves that what is clearly sin isn't sin. We know we don't see God rightly if our remedy to sin is just to try to be a better person from here on out. We know we don't see God rightly if we compare ourselves to others around us because as long as there's someone worse than me, then my sin really isn't that bad. Sin is real. Guilt is real. God, though, invites us in Christ to share in his holiness. This story ends leading us into the next chapter of the narrative. Jacob, it's obvious here, is was not expecting this sort of drama to come from a simple go and get food and come back. He doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes. He doesn't know what's going on in the heart of those brothers. And this chapter ends with a a bit of a cliffhanger. 
What will Jacob decide to do? How will the, peop, the chosen people of God, how are they going to be sustained if, if now, for all intents and purposes, there's no more food? They've got that one trip, but they're not getting any more unless Benjamin goes back. And what happens to the, dream, the dreams? They've only been partially fulfilled. Not fully. Where does the story go from here? And we'll see that in the weeks to come. But like Reuben, who knew that there would be blood to pay for their sin, we also need to look at ourselves because we also have a death to pay because of our sin. Yet that death can be laid aside, that condemnation can be laid aside because Jesus has shed his blood on the cross. Our sins can be forgiven because Jesus was slain for us. The iniquities that set us under the condemnation of God can be removed because they were laid upon Jesus. The gospel frees me from hiding in my sin, like Adam and Eve. And it brings me into a relationship with God. And this not only gives me the ability, now that I'm a Christian and we still sin, this not only gives me the ability to deal with my sins openly and honestly, but it gives me the desire to. And you might say, that sounds completely foreign to me. Because all of us would agree that whenever we sin, the last thing we want to do is deal with our sin openly and honestly. But when we realize the gospel, when we realize the grace given to us through Jesus, I won't want to wallow in the muck of sin. I won't want to try to hide my sin, keep people at arm's length, and try to look, make myself look better than I really am. I won't want to ignore God's discipline when I sin because there's a place to go with my sin that offers eternal and perfect remedy. And while this doesn't mean I'll never, I won't suffer consequences because of my sin, this doesn't mean that I, that I won't remember my sin, but it does mean that I can rejoice in God's grace, that I'm a child of his, washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sins find us out. Guilt for sin is real. What are you going to do about it? And I just want to say a word. If you have, you say, I have confessed it, and it just, it just keeps coming back. And, and perhaps now your, your problem isn't so much taking your sin to Jesus. Now you have the problem. You just keep going back and wallowing in that sin, in the, the shame of that sin. Even though it's already been taken care of, you've already confessed it, but it still nags you. The remedy is the same. You don't have to wallow in the memory or in the shame of a past sin that has been confessed and dealt with and covered by Jesus. Because as a child of his, you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when sin finds you out, you need to have a right view of yourself, a right view of sin, and a right view of God, and live in the freedom of the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus who on the cross paid the penalty for our sins. And Lord, forgive us for being so hot-headed about ourselves that we think sin is too far beyond us, that we think, my, how, how could my wonderful self ever even commit such a sin? 
Lord, we've become so enamored with ourselves, we can't be amazed by your grace. So we want to, this morning, look to Jesus. And for some, it might be the very first time that not only are they guilty for sins, but they're getting, they, will, they will experience the eternal condemnation for sin. And Lord, today they need to come to you and trust you as their Savior who died for them and rose again. Lord, for those who are Christians, they, 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 they suffer and they sin and they don't know what to do with it. Lord, we're reminded today that we go to Jesus and we deal with it openly and honestly and we confess and we trust in the forgiveness that Jesus provides. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.